Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Friday, April 29th, 2022 edition of On Iowa Politics. On the podcast this week, Tucker Carlson is coming to Iowa, movement in the Iowa legislature, and Rob Sand in defense of Iowa's courts. Hello, everyone. I'm Aaron Murphy, Des Moines Chief for the Gazette in Cedar Rapids, Des Moines Bureau Chief for the Gazette in Cedar Rapids. I'm off to a great start so far. I think this is going to be a great podcast. <laughs> With me today are Jared McNett of the Sioux City Journal. Good morning, Jared. Good morning, Aaron. You know, I, uh, I spent this past uh, weekend in the Villisca Axe House, and uh, some of the ghosts, they, uh, they almost felled me, but I said, nope, not doing this. I have pods to record this week, so... <laughs> That's good to have you back safe. Yep. I was following that on Twitter. That was quite the journey. Yes. Uh, also, here is Gazette Opinion Editor Todd Dorman. Good morning, Todd. Uh, good morning. And last but not least, Iowa Newspaper Association, J.P. Wagner Young Journalist Award winner, Sarah Watson <laughs> of the Quad City Times. Good morning and congratulations, Sarah. Uh, thank you, Aaron. Oh, I'm blushing. I, I should say that there were two other award winners, including Michaela Ram of the Gazette. So, um, so it's definitely a, a great night for all the Iowa newspapers. That is true, and we've obviously passed along our congratulations to uh, Michaela as well. But she's not on the podcast, so she's not quite as important. As Sarah. <laughs> 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 I'm kidding, Michaela. We love you. Okay. So, Sarah, since you're the award winner, let's start with you here. Uh, your colleague, Tom Lowy, wrote an article uh, that's just publishing here this weekend, um, hot off the presses, uh, about a little flag flap involving U.S. Representative Marionette Miller-Meeks and a local Republican Party office. Uh, apparently, Miller-Meeks retweeted a photo that showed the flag of the three percenters, a prominent anti-government pair military group um, in a local party office there. Then she later uh, undid that that retweet of that photo. But Sarah, tell us more about that story. Yeah. So yeah. So my colleague Tom Lowy wrote this story. Um, so uh, Marionette Miller-Meeks retweeted this um, these photos with some campaign uh, folks and they're in the Muscatine County Republicans office. They're getting ready to put out signs. And in the background is um, a flag by uh, that is clearly a right wing group known as the three percenters. And so um, soon after the, so the Scott County Democrats posted the tweet and Miller Meeks quickly took it down. But um, so the Scott County Democrats are um, really pointing to this as an example of signaling to some of the far right um, supporters, people who attended the insurrection on January 6th. And um, that's really how, uh, how, how they're framing it, how they're thinking of it. And so it was interesting reading um, the story and hearing about his reporting um, because then you, uh, you know, he talked to some uh, folks at the Muscatine County Republicans and, and of course, you know, they're going to say, no, um, the Scott County Democrats are signaling to their base uh, and um, you know, they're so, so I, so that was, you know, interesting to to say the least and and miller meeks isn't um this isn't the only time that she's fallen into uh hot water with um anti-governmental um groups it, her and um she had an incident where she was with um bobby Schilling, and there was a speaker at uh the um at the group and for the life of me i just completely blanked on his name was it 
Nick Fuentes. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes. Bobby Schilling was the congressman who was there. Nick Fuentes. Right. Bobby Schilling was the congressman. Yes. And so Nick Fuentes was there. So um, so that's a little bit about what the uh, that story is about. And I encourage you to read read it online at the Quad City Times. Just so. Yeah. So, so you can uncross your signals there, it sounds like. Read, read Tom's story. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, it, it, it taught it. It. <laughs> One of the um, explanations in the story is that, uh, oh, there's lots of flags and, you know, I can't catch everything. And this isn't from Miller Meeks. This is from one of the local party chairs, as I recall it. <laughs> it, it seems to me that that's maybe not the strongest defense <laughs> in the world. Like, oh, I can't keep track of all these you know, yeah, there were there were lots of flags at the ins- insurrection just because there were some Confederate ones and Nazi ones doesn't you know. <laughs> what about all the flags that were okay? <laughs> I mean, that's... nobody talks about the good yeah. flags. Everybody yeah, everybody focuses on the bad flags. There were lots of really clever flags for I, I think so. You know, that's not fair. Yeah, that's um... a lousy explanation, and you know, and the fact that it doesn't occur to anyone to you know, even care about stuff like that seemingly is, is really kind of astounding, especially, you know, it's not like she's running in, in, you know, it's not like she's in Randy Feenstra's district, you know, she's, she's running in this district with a plus D voter registration and uh, one by six votes and, you know, is, is certainly vulnerable. And then to sort of, you know, not pay attention to that you're standing in front of a, flag of a group that's known for white supremacy and and all of the great stuff that goes along with that yeah and i mean this isn't and i mean to your point this isn't um something that's just happening in the rarest of places and the and the deepest um most conservative places uh, uh, I, I don't know how many months ago it's been now but um some folks listening here uh, may remember that uh, uh governor reynolds had a photo taken at a, a bill signing um that um had some people who had been invited to the bill signing some members of the public and and a couple of them were folks whose um social media feeds were liberal, littered with uh qAnon level you know conspiracy theory stuff um i believe that was one of the the pandemic school related uh, bill. It was the, maybe the it was the bill that banned schools from mandating mask use. Yeah, that's what I. Thought. She signed I in the middle that. of the night. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. yeah, when those folks are up watching YouTube videos, anyways, maybe so that's why those folks were there. Yeah. Um. Um. So so yeah. So I mean, this isn't just a kind of a one off or an uh, unusual or uh, um thing. It, 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 you were seeing it happening more often often as those. Uh, groups get more and more seeped into conservative politics, frankly. All right. Well, an interesting story again, as Sarah said, make sure you uh, check it out. Good work by Tom over there at the times and, and check that out in your, in, in the times or your closest neighborhood Lear Gazette paper. Um, moving on this week, uh, but staying in the conservative sphere, uh, we have uh, a prominent national conservative coming to Iowa which is nothing new, hardly with a headline here at On Iowa Politics. But this one feels a little different. Tucker Carlson is coming to Iowa to speak at the Christian Conservative Family Leaders Annual uh, Event, the Family Leaders Summit. Uh, Carlson, for those of you who don't know, and if you don't know him, I think you clicked on the wrong podcast. But hey, welcome anyway. You'll 
Hope you enjoy your stay. Um, Tucker is a primetime talk show host on Fox News. Um, so, Todd, let's get the big question out of the way here because we're in Iowa. We're all political journalists here. So when this happens, we have to ask first. Todd, is um, is Tucker Carlson running for president? Yeah, what the hell? Why not? You know, <laughs> bring the whole circus to Iowa. I mean, and if, you know, if there's anyone that is has shown, you know, the, the talent for maybe, uh, you know, taking the torch from Donald Trump. I mean, Tucker Carlson clearly would be a leader in that. I was looking at his PolitiFact page just to give you a flavor. False, pants on fire, false, 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 pants on fire, false, pants on fire. You you sort of get the, you get the gist. That yeah, not, not is, even a half true in there somewhere? Yeah, there's some. There's no, a, yeah, okay, good for him. But they're, him. they're overwhelmingly false and pants on fire. He, it's surprising he still has pants. But <laughs> uh, it's, you know, so he's, I mean, this is a party that right now is like seriously without breaking a smile is arguing that, you know, Kevin McCarthy's taped conversation about Trump being needing to be impeached or resign has been somehow mysteriously edited by the mainstream media to, to make it sound like he said the things that he said. So it's, this is, this is not a party looking for, you know, honest guidance. This is a party that wants to be told what it wants to hear. And it wants to be told in a way that, fuels resentment and outrage and grievance so yeah tucker carlson would be an outstanding candidate for president for, especially for the republican nomination that that editing accusation it's it's another one of those examples that always uh makes me laugh a little bit i, I i'm almost flattered by some of these conspiracy theories about the the media and, and the things that they think we're capable of and if they just spent a day <laughs> following a journalist around or in a newsroom uh, a lot of those could conspiracy theories would go away quickly um the idea of watching me trying to edit something to uh, sound make someone sound um more dangerous is is uh comical it would it would just have like so many strange cuts if like an actual just regular <laughs> reporter had to edit that it would just be like let's uh get donald trump to resign like it would just be like that. Would, there'd be no yeah. smoothness. It'd be like it'd be like cutting out letters from a magazine to send like a ransom note or something. It would. That's how. It would, that's what it would sound like. Well, yeah. it's just it's it's amazing. I mean, just. I mean, and this Todd's this dog event would be barking in the background. Yeah. Right. Uh, I mean, this event has generally been you know a launching board for presidential candidates, and I mean the fact that that he's even that he's the keynote speaker of this long running. Republican event is a pretty good piece of evidence how the party has has shifted. Well, into, and that's sort of yeah, into, and I you know so, sorry, Todd. I I I that just kind of triggered a, a follow up question here. It's it's kind of interesting to me that it's not Mike Pompeo or uh, or Mike Pence or or you know um oh, I'm blanking on her name, The uh, Nikki Haley, you know, uh, I'm, I'm surprised that it's not one of those. And it is Tucker Carlson, because that's that's very much in the in the family leaders, Bob Vanderplatz's mold to have candidates uh, come and speak to these events. So it, it is interesting from that. Yeah. Uh, he's a, he's he was once regarded as a kingmaker, a caucus kingmaker. Yeah. Maybe he still is, but they're Saving them all for next year, maybe. I yeah, guess. this time uh, they're welcoming the clown car instead. So, 
Jared, you work uh, up there in 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 uh, uh, conservative Western Iowa. How would a Tucker Carlson for president uh, campaign announcement be received there? Well, I hate to give uh, maybe a little bit of a cop out answer, but I'm not entirely sure. Um, I was looking up some numbers for uh, for Fox News viewership, um, and I found a like a set of data from 2020 from election night, and at least there, Iowa didn't have the same degree of like Fox News viewership that even some surrounding states like Nebraska, Missouri, or even Kansas had. Um, obviously, there's a pretty good chance that that's changed since Biden's been in office, but it doesn't necessarily seem like there might be the same kind of fervency for Fox here. Interesting. Yeah. Um, interesting. As, as for Tucker himself, I don't entirely know why he would run. He's got a pretty sweet right. gig, even though Fox news has him doing a lot more shows, um, including one about how testicle tanning is the way out of the masculinity crisis. That was a, a video he put together or his yeah. crew did. Um, and he has like a whole team of writers. So he really just has to show up, hit his marks and then count his money so I don't know why he would give that up just to kind of, you know, roam around Iowa for something that's not guaranteed. Like, I don't necessarily know if he would roll through a 2024 field like Trump did in 2016. He doesn't quite have the same charisma as Trump. He doesn't have the same level of name recognition. You know, he, he's on a news show. He's not on a reality show like Trump was that was on, a you know, a major network. And... um I guess I should note, though, in terms of, you know, Western Iowa specifically, when I was at a book event back in December um, where Steve King was touting his uh, book, um, he was like talking with attendees about how Tucker was, you know, fighting the good fight. And so uh, maybe that's at least one endorsement Tucker would get if he did run in, uh, in 2024. Yeah, I wonder if uh, do you think there'll be do you think there'll be Tucker Carlson red laser pointers on sale at the at the Faith and Freedom event maybe why well, i bet you didn't think testicle tanning was going to come on the podcast at any point but there it's jared's made history yes <laughs> we're gonna start a bing uh on iowa politics bingo card um <laughs> well and like he he gets into some of this like uh kind of like esoteric stuff sometimes that like i don't necessarily know even you know as the party is kind of pulled to the right i don't necessarily know what currency that's going to have for just some farmer in you know rural Iowa somewhere. I don't know if they're going to care about that stuff or not. Yeah. No, isn't, isn't that the truth? Um, and also, yeah. well, I was just going to say, um, he already, if there's like a Republican president, I feel like Tucker Carlson almost has more sway, you know, in his position as, right. you know, making millions of dollars as a Fox News host because he can, you know, say something and then his millions of viewers can bombard the president with like, why aren't you doing this? So it almost seems like he would like, yeah, be giving up some of that power and be taking on a lot more uh, gray hairs and responsibilities. <laughs> yeah, he, that, that's exactly right. So I was, I was going to say the same thing. And, and I, I asked the question only half seriously, half tongue in cheek, because in all honesty, that, <laughs> that's exactly right. Especially if Donald Trump's runs again, Tucker Carlson is pretty clearly get the 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 president's ear um why would he give uh, uh, you know actually to come out and have to be a candidate versus staying in his studio and 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 in still having influence over uh, uh someone like donald trump so well never never underestimate the ability of a gigantic ego to make someone do something ridiculous 
And that's why we leave just enough room for seriousness in that discussion. <laughs> well, I, I didn't think Trump was going to be a serious candidate when he got that, in. Hey, so right? I, I don't, I don't right? know. I mean, I don't know anything anymore about <laughs> that. Who's who's a you know who's viable and serious and you know up yep. for the job? Yep, absolutely. Well, if he uh, uh, if he does run and win, just edit this audio so it sounds like we we called it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we'll be taking volunteers for that work after the podcast here. So. Yes. <laughs> All right. Moving on. We return to that beautiful golden dome on the hill here in Des Moines, uh, where this past week state lawmakers actually got a little work done, put themselves a couple steps closer to closing down the session. Unemployment benefits, ethanol requirements, and childcare staffing were on the agenda and are now on their way to the governor. But that still leaves leaves the big one, the taxpayer-funded private school tuition assistance bill. You know, people complain about journalists trying to use catchwords and stuff like that, and, and vouchers is the example here. I say vouchers if no reason, other reason than otherwise I got to describe that thing in like 20 words. I'm too lazy. Just let me say vouchers. <laughs> uh, so anyways, that bill is the one holding up the session. After a couple days' work to get those previously mentioned bills done, lawmakers said, hey, that's good enough for now, and they returned home to wait for word on further deals. Uh, So again, the private school tuition assistance taxpayer-funded shift funding schools bill is is the big holdup. Sarah. Border strike force. (laughs) (laughs) Sarah have obviously again uh, for those who are new to this discussion, uh the House Republicans are where are where the the stalemate is happening. Have any of the House Republicans in the Quad Cities uh indicated a shift, a willingness to change their minds on the voucher bill? Have there been any changes of heart there? I certainly haven't heard any changes of heart, um, but we haven't had any, you know, public forums or um, anything of that nature. But, um, uh, you know, um, well, like uh, one Republican, Ross Poston, he's retiring at the end of the session. Um, Gary Moore um, leading the Appropriations Committee. He sounds like he's a would make maybe make some kind of a deal. But um, but as far as, you know, I, I haven't heard any anything updated, but I did think it was interesting in um, in a campaign almanac that there was a conservative group that was going to back a primary opponent, um, uh, supposedly for the reason because the the um, incumbent wasn't wasn't backing the voucher bill. So I wonder if you know if maybe if that becomes a bigger issue for incumbents if that would move people along. I'm not sure. Yeah, and to, to fill in that blank there, that was um, House member Republican John Thorpe, um, who's a representative over in, in Knoxville. I'm 95% sure of that. Forgive me if I'm, I'm wrong. Um, and he has actually come out and publicly. Uh, he uh, was quoted in one of my stories on this, actually, about being against this. And, and uh, like magic, uh, a week later, as Sarah noted, he has a primary not only a primary challenger that that was actually already on the books, but that primary challenger has now been endorsed by Americans for prosperity. Um, and, and they're endorsing the other candidate who says they will. And, and that, that is kind of the opening. And the other question here um, is whether the governor starts to apply any political pressure um, 
uh, we're hearing rumors, but we don't have any hard evidence that any of this has actually happened. But 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 something we're all kind of watching for is will the governor, you know, try to put her thumb on the scales and maybe it, where there is a primary and and uh, one candidate, uh, even if it's not an incumbent, uh, um, is willing to support the the voucher bill and the other is not. Uh, it, it's going to be interesting, uh, Todd. And and I ask, I get asked all the time, when do you think the session's going to end? And and I still don't have a good sense because it's so much of it hinges on this one bill, and when slash if the governor and Senate Republicans decide to cut ties with it, and and because as of now, there's still not enough votes for it. Um, that could change, but it doesn't seem likely, given how many votes would need to change. I'm just curious to hear you. You've been doing this longer than I have. Um, what's your gut tell you about when that will happen, when the governor and Senate Republicans will say, okay, fine, we don't got it. We're going to go out and we're going to bang this drum on the campaign trail and come back and try again next year with maybe a little bit different makeup in in the house Republican caucus. Are they ready to do that sooner than later? Or are they going to hold this thing up until June? Well, it's, I don't think it's going to end soon, but when it ends, it's going to end super fast. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that's, that, that that's kind of the, yeah. I mean, it's, it's going to be one day, all of a sudden something's going to happen. Uh, I think they'll probably take another, at least another week. I mean, that just, it doesn't, doesn't seem like they're in a lot, in a big hurry. Uh, you know, this Americans for Prosperity um, is obviously a, you know, a group that would be classified as a friend of Kim and, uh, or, or Fock, if you, if every- you. <laughs> If you, if you, if you like, uh, so, you know, I think they're applying pressure on, on her behalf in this, in this case, and we don't know how much is being done. Otherwise I kind of thought as we've talked before that this would be, you know, she would be trying to get primary winners to give her a legislature next year to do this, but it appears maybe right now that she's, that that pressure is being applied to get a vote now. Uh, so that'll be interesting to see how that plays out. I, I, I've, <clears throat> excuse me, I've seen no indication that they've made any progress changing minds over the past, you know, several weeks. So uh, they'd be better off cutting bait. But you know, she, she wants it and is is going to try to get it. Uh, you know, one of the, part of this though is the consequence of in since she's been governor, she has not really done this sort of thing. Uh, she's never cracked heads and said, I'll veto your budget if I don't get this bill or anything like that, that we've seen governors do. Mm-hmm. I mean, Branstead, Vilsack, all these, all the governors that I've covered have, have done these things, even when they had a democratic or a Republican legislature of their own party. So, uh, so maybe the fact that she hasn't done this before led some lawmakers to believe that it wasn't going to be a problem this time. And, and now she's applying some pressure, but I'd be surprised if it works. I think she's going to have to just take this idea to the campaign trail and, and, you know, give it another shot next year. She made quite a bit of progress. I mean, this, this hasn't really gone anywhere for a while, you know, since mm-hmm. it's been talked about, or at least to this point. So that, but, that's, that's a really good point. This is the kind of bill. Yeah. If, if you don't follow these things closely, it may sound like this just came up last year when governor Reynolds first uh, proposed this, um, uh, on, on that scale, but but yeah, Todd's exactly right. This bill's been around forever in different forms, um, and it just never had 
sport to get anywhere. You know, there would be an early subcommittee hearing on it um, <laughs> early in the session, and then you'd never hear from it ever again. Um, so, so that's a really good point to, to show, you know, um, how far the ideas come within, obviously, specifically within the Republican caucus, because Democrats still have um, no interest in voting for it. Um, and, and maybe one more year, one more session is enough. Well, she can come back and say she has a mandate if she wins. Exactly. Right, yeah. right. Because she, she'll talk about it nonstop on the campaign trail, obviously. Um, and, and so then if she wins, uh, she can come back and say, hey, I, I took this to Iowans. They brought me back. Uh, assuming they do, we still have our Republican majorities. Where Iowans told us to do this bill. And, and she'll have a little, honestly, a little heavier hand to, to do that with uh, next well, year. Well, and so. it'll be interesting to see during the campaign because this, I mean, this is a pretty divisive bill. I mean, the Iowa mm-hmm. poll showed that most people oppose right. it. It's very popular with her party, but it's very unpopular with Democrats and independents. So, I mean, if she makes the election about this, then that, that, could, that could also, Back you know, n- not could backfire to some yep. extent. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, I mean, even in, uh, in other States, cause I, I remember this from a couple of years ago that are even far more red than Iowa, like in uh, Oklahoma and I think West Virginia too, when some of these like school or teacher issues come up, like the, the people that are backing that, like the teacher unions or, you know, other school affiliated stuff, they can really like raise a ruckus, even if they're in a deeply conservative place. So it's, you know, important to not discount that either is something that could creep in at some point too. Yep, absolutely. It, it, it's it's both great points. And to, to expand on what Todd said, he, he mentioned the polling, uh, the Iowa poll asked this, and it wasn't like some generic question about the topic. It was a, a question on this proposal and, and it kind of spelled out the proposal for, for the, for the people in that poll. And, and, and it was, it was a, it was majority opposed. Um, so this is not something that has widespread um, support necessarily. So, so, so that would be very interesting to, to, to see that kind of litigated on the campaign trail, which I suspect it very much will be unless we get a surprise bill signing here in the, in the next few weeks. <clears throat> um, all right. Finishing up this week. Um State Auditor Rob Sand was on this weekend's episode of Iowa Press for Iowa PBS um, and had some interesting things to say about Abby Finkenauer and her whole ballot signature challenge. Um, remember when uh, a state judge overruled the uh, the state panel, which for a moment there made it look like she might get kicked off the ballot, and, and uh, Finkenauer had some critical words to say about that judge. Um, well, Auditor Rob Sand, a fellow Democrat on Iowa PBS, said he did not approve of those uh, comments and even said that he called Finkenauer to tell her as much at the time. So it was very interesting. Um, Sand, I, I want to note here, by the way, noted on Twitter that he also wants everyone to know that in his defense of the courts uh, on the show, he also criticized Republicans for, in his view, inserting politics into the state's courts via judge nominating process um so you know what just watch iowa press this weekend and and you'll get it all and everybody's good to go um but but i wanted to circle back to i mean it was fascinating um uh, and and my kind of take on it after the show was um even when these kinds of things happen you don't often get the the candidate or the elected official to talk about those openly in a public space like that so it was interesting to hear Rob Sand uh, clearly felt strongly enough about that issue and, and comfortable enough to talk about it uh, to a statewide TV audience. Um, 
uh, Jared, let me fire the first question at you here. Uh, more broadly, this whole ballot signature stuff, and we've talked about this on past past, past podcasts, but it kind of this this the idea of Rob Sand being uh, comfortable enough to talk about it uh, on TV kind of reignites the question for me: Is this something that's going to hurt Finkenauer um, in the campaign, even in this Democratic primary? For the U.S. Senate, well, um, it certainly isn't hurting her in the uh, endorsement game because uh, yesterday on uh, Workers Memorial Day, the Iowa Federation of Labor uh, announced that it was endorsing her over Franken or uh, Hearst, which is obviously a big deal um, for a Democratic primary. And you know, I'm here in Sioux City; it doesn't hurt in a town like Sioux City, which has a number of uh, local unions, including one where um, Jackie Smith, Chris Hall, and J.D. Schulten spoke at yesterday. So I, I think, if anything, this is maybe going to be one of those deals where she said a thing that some people in the party didn't like. She got chastised for it for some period of time, and then eventually things will just go back to business as usual, and it'll maybe just be kind of a footnote. I will that you raise a good point, but I will note just for a little counterpoint there, and it's not a huge deal. It's one endorsement, and who knows how the hell much endorsements matter, anyways. But Bonnie Campbell who was the former state attorney general state's top lawyer uh, endorsed Mike Franken uh, very recently here, um, which was just kind of interesting because of the timing of everything. Now, like I said, a Bonnie Campbell endorsement does not sink a, (laughs) or, or raise a a campaign, whichever side of the fence you're on. But I did, I did think that was interesting. Sarah, Sarah, get your, your take on this here too, is the, does the, the, near miss there by the Finkenauer campaign? Should, should there be reason for concern? Or are you more aligned with Jared that in two weeks here, nobody will even remember that even happened? Yeah, I think that's a really interesting question because, you know, the primary voters are going to be some of the most engaged voters with the Democratic Party and are going to be most likely probably to be um, keeping an eye on the news and maybe know who the candidates are. So, um so I don't know. I mean, I, I, I would be really interested to see. Um, I'm not sure if there's a register poll coming out or anytime soon. I would be really interested to see how her numbers um, fluctuate because of this, because, yeah, I kind of wonder if, you know, if if people align with Rob Sands thinking um, in within the Democratic Party and that thinking trickles, um, you know, or it gets that thinking is shared by a wide number of people in the, in the democratic party that could maybe, you know, dent her a little bit, but then again, you know, there are people who are big Finkenauer fans too. So, uh, and she has those labor ties as well. So, so I, I just, I think it'll be really interesting to see the polling. I, it could really probably go either way. Dot, I'll give you the last uh, two cents here on our way out the door. What do you think? Yeah. I mean, the question is, did, you know, two or three weeks of sort of negative press, negative media reports, I mean, did that sour her momentum enough or slower momentum enough to give Franken a kind of a, a chance to make a little ground? I mean, I'm sure that at the at, at the point where we sort of thought she might not be on the ballot, there were a lot of people that maybe took a look at Mike Franken because it looked like maybe he was going to be, become the instant front runner. And so they paid some attention to his campaign. He got some, you know, endorsements here and there. Uh, I think he actually got a, a labor endorsement. I can't remember wh- which union is supporting him. I know you're uh, right, and I can't remember which yeah. one. Yeah. So, I mean, did that period of time present him with enough of a window 
to make folks give his campaign a look and maybe catch up a little bit with Finkenauer. I, I don't, I really, it's a, it's a question I can't answer because, you know, campaigns are funny and, and she was the front runner. She had momentum. She was, you know, well-regarded and then this happened and now there are people, you know, questioning her judgment, questioning her campaign's ability to, to get the job done. I mean, there's just all sorts, suddenly it's all kind of, it's, you know, she's hit some pretty big, big bumps and, but I'd say she's still favored to win the nomination. And, and but and and then does any of this? How does this sour other people's minds? You know, in the general election, does this sort of, you know, create a, a narrative for the Grassley campaign? I'm assuming he wins, fights off his challenge. Uh, you know, does this create a narrative for them to push that she's, you know, incompetent and? whatnot you know <clears throat> and, we already and, know and that railed, she, and railed on the courts I, well I we already know that she's a, we'll hear that on, we already yeah. know that she's a radical socialist but <laughs> which is what they'll argue but i don't yeah this stuff also provides some fodder so it's it's just bad news for finkenauer whether it's really really bad news or just a, a stretch of bad news is i guess is what we don't know there we go we'll, the uh, we'll, sorry, i should ahead, add Jay. I would just add uh, as a footnote, the labor union that uh, Frank got the endorsement from was the Laborers International Union of uh, North America, which has about uh, 500,000 members or so across the country. There you go. There it is. Public service provided by Jared McNett. Well done. Workers of the world unite. Real-time fact-checking. That's right. We're looking out for you. And now I've got a few things to say about Karl Marx. Well, I'm sorry, Todd, we're out of time, but we'll we'll do that on a future (laughs) on Iowa politics podcast. So everybody stay tuned for that. That's it for this edition. I hope you all enjoyed it. If you did, tell your friends, subscribe to us wherever you find your podcasts. And you can even send fan mail to podcasts at thegazette.com. And remember to stay up to date on our team's coverage of the Iowa legislature. Stuff actually happened this week. And if you got the newsletter, you knew about it. Uh, by subscribing to the Capital Digest newsletter online at thegazette.com under the Iowa Legislature tab. And don't forget that the work of everyone you heard here today can be found on the pages and websites of the Quad City Times, Waterloo Cedar Falls Courier, Sioux City Journal, Main City Globe Gazette, Muscatine Journal, Council Bluffs Daily Nonpareil, and the Cedar Rapids Gazette. Dream Thieves will play us out this week. If you know an Iowa band or musician who should be on the podcast, please send us a sound file. For Jared, Todd, the award-winning Sarah, and our producer, Stephen, I'm Aaron Murphy. Thanks, everyone, for listening.
Get a daily update from the Gazette with our daily news podcast. Add it to your podcast player or your Alexa-friendly device to get a bite-sized local news update each day. Check it out at thegazette.com slash podcasts.